Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Jason Timp is in the building from the Volume Network from Hoops Tonight. Jason, what else do I need to plug before we get started here? Not a whole lot, man. I will say, though, I'm so excited for this. I've been stuck in the grind of game breakdowns and playoff previews and and the godforsaken MVP debate that I don't want to have today. And like it just just to slow down and talk about some young, talented basketball players. That sounds like so much fun to me, man. I can't wait. Well, and we're going to do the MVP debate, I think, next week on your show and yes. just dive into all of this. And it's going to be really fun. I'm really excited to do it. Also, somewhat dreading it because it means that I have to dive deep into the weeds on MVP, which <laughs> I've actively avoided for three weeks now, ever since this crazy thing has blown up. But I'm excited to do it nonetheless. Instead of MVP in the top of the league, which is what I think Jason focuses on a lot with Hoops Tonight, I wanted to give him a chance to talk about some of the future of the league and some of the guys that have really stood out across the NBA this season as breakout players and as future NBA stars. And the impetus for this is that the last time I had Jason on the show, when we did break down MVP on this show at uh, midseason, right around there, we talked about Jaden Ivey very briefly. And Jaden Ivey is one of Jason's favorite young players across the league. If I remember correctly, you loved Jaden Ivey last year in the draft, right? Yeah, he was... I when I watched him at summer league and dove into his film, he was one of the guys. I had him as my second favorite prospect in last year's draft behind Paolo. Interesting. So mm-hmm. okay, so you are you are an anti Chet establishment person. Is what? Can we watch him play some NBA <laughs> basketball, man? <laughs> so I wanted to talk specifically about Jaden Ivey, but then also this Jalen Williams breakout is happening in front of us. And I really want to dive into Jalen Williams because I find him entirely fascinating. And then I told Jason, pick a couple of other guys and we'll dive into them as well. So we're going to do that on today's show. We're going to dive into everything, uh, at least five players that will become breakout players and future all-stars in the NBA, in our opinions, uh, or in one of ours opinion. And we'll try and sway the other one uh, on that take. But let's start with the impetus of this, right? Let's start with Jaden Ivey. So when I evaluated Jaden Ivey, I had him in the same tier as Paulo, as Jabari Smith, as Chet Holmgren. I loved him. I thought he was like a legit future all-star if everything broke right. The thing that worried me is that at Purdue, he is a guy that did not get a lot of ball screen reps, particularly. It's just not a part of their offense. And I think think i swear to god jason i got frightened by how much i loved jalen suggs and his lack of refinement in ball screens at gonzaga despite the fact gonzaga runs a ton of ball screens he also had a lack of refinement in terms of footwork i saw similar lacking refinement in jade Ivey, and i thought it would be a bit of a struggle early on it was a bit of a struggle early on it's not a struggle now. No. What have you seen from Jaden Ivey over the course of this season that has impressed you uh, in a substantial way? So he obviously still has a long way to go. There are some fundamental things that I think he needs to tweak a little bit. Like his jump shot release is a little too low for me. It's more of a set shot type of a form, which I think really bothers him in contested shot situations. Like he's actually lights out on wide open threes this year. He's shooting 
68% effective field goal percentage on unguarded catch and shoot jump shots, according to Synergy. But that falls off of a cliff in any sort of contested situation because it's too low. Um, he's struggling to finish around the rim. Those, those sorts of things I think are more decision making based than is athleticism based. It's to me, rim decisions are what determine rim feel a finish percentage, a finishing percentage almost just as much as your touch around the rim and things along those lines. But what I really like is I think he seems to fundamentally understand the purpose of the pick and roll. So many players approach the pick and roll as like this play finishing move. And I look at it more as the play that can get the defense into rotation. And what I've liked with Jaden, and this is the this is something that can only come with reps, and you can only focus this way when you're getting, you know, like I mean that game the other night against Charlotte, he had like 20 pick and roll reps in that game. Like when you when you have the wherewithal and the and the bandwidth of reps to make mistakes and to feel the flow of the game, you can do a thing where. Maybe you come off that ball screen and you have an opportunity to go downhill, but there's a guy digging down from the wing and you've got a player on. Yeah. The, you can just make a simple swing pass. And then that guy can attack the closeout, start the wheel that ends to the final shot. And, you know, he's t- he's ticked up his points per possession on pick and roll up to almost a point when it was down like to yeah. almost two thirds of a point earlier in the season. And what impresses me the most about it is he's playing a lot with some bad basketball players right now. <laughs> like he actually has yeah. like a little bit of a lob chemistry with James Wiseman that I really like yeah. already, but he's surrounded by a lot of non shooters. Like a lot of his turnovers and blocked shots in pick and roll are more congestion related, which I think will go away when he's playing with better players. But you can tell he's he's like this is a lights out downhill speed guy that has a lot of power behind his game that is approaching the pick and roll with a methodical, slow, patient approach. He's good putting guys in jail when they go over the top. He's patiently settling into his pull-up when they go underneath the screen. This is just a guy who's figuring it out on the fly, and the talent stuff will come. Can't make a floater yet. That's going to be something he's got to figure out. Has to make better rim yeah. decisions. Has to polish up the pull-up jump shot. But the the strength and the athleticism and that patience is what's standing out to me early on. Yeah, and it's been over the last two months, particularly, mm-hmm. that patience. Like, he is – so much more comfortable just sitting in the mid-range and being patient in the mid-range once he gets that advantage. Jaden Ivey's first step is so good that out of a ball screen, he's going to be able to get that advantage immediately whenever he wants. But early on, I felt like it's exactly what you said. It's that rim decision. I watched a clip from, it was probably like their 10th game or something this year. They played the Knicks and he took a ball screen going to the left and Isaiah Hartenstein was in drop and it was just a situation. It was perfectly inclined for him to stop survey for a second, look to his left. He had a wide open kick out to Boyan Bogdanovich. And instead he just ran into a brick wall, (laughs) right? It's just like, okay, Isaiah Hartenstein is going to block you every time he's an enormous German just wall at the basket. And that is the kind of stuff where, you look at the progression throughout the year. I think he's improved more in that regard, just the comfort level of being patient within the mid-range area that I've seen a rookie guard improve in a long, long time. He has gotten so, so much better. And with that, he's now able to actually manipulate defenders. He's doing like a skip step instead of just driving to the basket. He's doing like an inside-out dribble to try and just string out a ball or a drop defender 
maybe toward the right. That tends to be what he does. He tends to inside out toward the right because his favorite mid-range shot tends to be the elbow jumper from the right side. He's pretty good at that shot. Mm -hmm. And what you see over the course of his last 15 games, he's tripled his mid-range volume in terms of shooting over that time. And he's making like 55% of them or something like that, like a crazy number. It's because he's getting to his spots more comfortably. He feels a little bit more polished being able to get to those areas. And then, like you said, once you're able to go fast to slow to fast again out of ball screens, that's where the ability to separate happens. And that's where you can truly take advantage of your athletic tools. Jaden Ivey's coming, man. <laughs> it's it's yeah. going to be it's going to be sick, I think. He's been leaving the three-pointer short a lot and if what's interesting is I think that I think he goes to that mid-range shot with a little bit more lift and a little bit more um kind of like game speed verve whereas when he takes his three-point shot off the dribble like he's kind of slowing himself down too much and shooting more of that like set shot. I think that's part of why he's succeeding more uh in that like mid-range area of the floor but the other thing that I noticed is he's getting, and this is the kind of thing that, again, you would only figure out with reps. Because if you were getting three pick and rolls a game, you would be looking at each pick and roll like, I need to get a shot here, or I need yeah. to throw the lob for the dunk. But he's he's much more patient because he knows he's going to get another crack at it. He's uh, paying attention to tendencies. There's a specific thing that he's been doing a lot, I'm sure you've noticed, where it's like a high hesitation crossover like two or three times. Yeah to get the defender to start engaging with the screen, even if he's going under or over, and kind of get him to stick on one side before he picks a direction. It's kind of like setting his man up, which I think is one of the most vitally important parts in pick and roll because if you just go the same way every single time and the defender can prep to jump the screen with you, it's not going to be as effective. It's it's just, again, like, you know, Detroit's... I, I was listening to some of the broadcasts, uh, watching some footage, and they're like, oh, we're trying to find out if Jaden Ivey can play pick... Uh, if he can play point guard. And I've always been a little bit less con- concerned about having a true point guard and more concerned about, like, the complementary nature of having a a initiator that's more of a guy who looks to set people up and an initiator that's more of a guy who can kind of create his own shot. And the way I look at it is, like, he's he's kind of turning into that former. Like, he's turning into that guy that is setting people up well. And and to me, that like that is enough, uh, as long as he continues to get better at it over over the years, to be a foundational primary initiator. It doesn't need to be Chris Paul. You know, like it, yeah. it just needs to be a guy that can consistently generate quality shots and pick and roll, and then also be remain a threat when he's off the ball. To me, it's the the modern game is less rigid than that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and especially when you're going to be playing next to Cade Cunningham and all exactly. likelihood. Exactly. And Cade is like an absolute supercomputer coming off of any sort of advantage situation. They're going to work perfectly in synergy, in my opinion, because you're going to have Cade bring the ball down the court. He's going to take a ball screen. He's going to find the open man. And then you're going to have Jaden bring the ball down the court at times. And then Jaden's going to get into the middle of the court, reverse to that second side where Cade's going to have opportunities. And when Cade gets that early advantage, again, He's just so fast processing the game that I think it's going to be really, really impressive from a synergistic perspective on the way those two are going to work together. And in large part, I think it's because of these reps Jaden Ivey is now getting without Cade Cunningham to be able to develop these skills night after night after night.
we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay. The next guy that I just want to bring up here, and I I, I need to talk about Jalen Williams for the Oklahoma City Thunder, J-Dub from Santa Clara. I think he is like, awesome. I think he is a future star. <laughs> no, like over the last 15 games, Jalen Williams is averaging 20 points, five rebounds, five assists, shooting 57% from the field. 47 from three and like 86 from the line and you watch him and it's like all translatable. Everything he does is off of two feet. It's on balance. He has this enormous physical frame, six foot six, seven foot two wingspan, great center of gravity. That's lower to the ground than most of these guys that have the elite level length that he has. It's impossible to knock him off of his line. It's impossible to like really disrupt him out of ball screens, out of isolation drives. I think his first step is faster than what I saw at Santa Clara. Everything that Jalen Williams is doing right now, I'm like, th this is the best run we've seen from any rookie so far this season. Like, by, I don't even think it's really all that close. I think he's been unbelievable recently. 
you're going to be really disappointed because you you wanted me to come up with some different guys, and Jalen Williams was the first name that came up to my uh, that I came up with after Jaden Ivey. Um, if I, I, I want to ask you this, just because I'm curious what you what you have to say before before I go. Yeah. Um, if you if you had to come up with a, a comp for Jalen Williams, I, I I had two names that immediately jumped to the top of the list. What, what would you What would you think? I, I sent this to uh, his trainer last night. I was talking to. I said he reminds me a little bit of like Luca Light in terms of the physicality, being able to play on two feet, having guys bounce off of him in ball screens, having just that enormous physical frame, that ability to change pace, change direction, uh, that passing and processing ability. Stylistically, I think Luca is maybe the smartest basketball player on planet Earth. And that is not what Jalen Williams is, even though he has high feel for the game. Stylistically, there's a little bit of that there, I think. So the two names that that's super interesting, by the way, and I and I really like it from the standpoint of the power that he plays with, because the first yeah. thing that stood out to me was he is a power shot creating wing, which is one of my favorite archetypes and actually represents the third guy that I'll bring up when we get to it. And one of the big reasons why I, I, I'm drawn to power wing shot creators is I think that one of the conundrums that happens in the late round of the NBA playoffs is you run into teams that have outstanding perimeter point of attack defense. And it makes it difficult to get defenses into rotation at that point. And this is a big part of why I think big wings end up being outstanding late round playoff weapons is they are the ultimate counter to excellent point of attack defense because of their ability to turn their back to the basket and back players down to draw multiple defenders or to shoot through gaps with physicality when smaller players are guarding them. Um, I He reminds me of like half Jalen Brown and half Jimmy Butler. Those are those are yeah. the two guys that he, that stand out to me a lot. Jalen Brown in the, the sense that... guy for me for what it's worth. So, yeah, yeah, so there you go. I figured, I figured it'd be something like that. But like it, the, the reason why I don't love the Jalen Brown comp is I already think Jalen Williams is miles ahead of him as a playmaker, like already right away. His feel for the game as a passer is amazing. And then yeah. it's that it's like you, you brought it up with the, the, the going up strong with two feet. That is such an important detail in, in slow down physical basketball games, that ability to not get knocked off to your spot, to be strong with the basketball. He's so good at like jumping into the lane and even when he's in a crowd, like keeping a good, strong, wide base yeah. and finding those cutters and those shooters off of those uh, off of those actions. He, the reason why I went to Jalen Brown a little bit is he's actually like kind of got like that natural scoring ability too. Like I always talk yeah. about the difference between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to me. Like Jason Tatum is more of like an offensive engine. Like it's it's kind of rudimentary, it's kind of simplistic, it's kind of repetitive, but it's just it just works. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Whereas like Jalen Brown has all of the flair and the improvisational shot making pieces that Tatum can lack sometimes. Like, and I think that that's a big part of why Jalen Brown succeeds so much at the end of games. And that's what I like so much about Jalen Williams is like no two ISOs look the same, no two pick and yeah. rolls look the same. He's got a very good improvisational element to his game. And so what I see is like a better version of Jalen Brown, like this big competitive playmaking wing that can play with power, but he's also shooting 41% on 101 pull-up jumpers this year. That's incredible. <laughs> he's like a ridiculous off ball player. Yeah. So good at cutting without the basketball. He, uh, this year, 
It, like, okay, he's 46th out of 87 players to run at least 300 pick and rolls. As a rookie, he's 12th out of 81 players to run at least 75 ISOs. As a rookie, like, this is insane that, like, the, yeah. the advanced shot creation that we're seeing from a kid. From yeah. a kid, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'll, I'll, we went to Jaden Ivy first because you and I had talked about him the last time I was on your show. But I, I, I'm with you. I, I think Jalen's been arguably the most impressive rookie this year, uh, especially when you factor yeah. in the winning concept and what he's been doing for a pretty damn good Oklahoma City Thunder team. Yeah, I believe in their last 14, they are nine and five in large part because of what Jalen Williams has brought to the table. As a 25 and five guy next to Shea Gilgis Alexander, next to Josh Giddy, that's why they're still in the play in race. And I think they're eighth in the Western Conference right now. They would be in the double knockout play in phase if the season ended today. Uh, the thing with Jalen is like he mixes almost this like new school driving ideal for cross corner kickouts and modern like free flowing offense with like old school tricks, kind of, right? Like, he has like these weird little uh, – like he'll throw like a running hook shot up over Nick Claxton like he did last night, right? And it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> this is like in, this is like a, something from the 1980s or 1970s, right? Uh, he'll have like step-through pivot moves and you're just like, oh, this is, this is like 1970s basketball. And he has the fro and it just looks like aesthetically and stylistically like this is going to be a thing. By the way, there is – a second Williams coming. Cody Williams is considered a potential lottery pick. His in brother? 2024. His brother. That's right. Interesting. Okay. Uh, you know, six foot nine, six foot eight, something like that going to Colorado. Uh, really, really good family of basketball players. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is just classic late bloomer shit with Jalen Williams, a kid that was like six foot one, six foot two when he committed to Santa Clara bloomed up to six foot six and just like filled out his frame in a substantial way, retained all of the guard skills that he had from lower levels and just became the guy that is going to be almost the perfect secondary star next to Shea, I feel like. Oh, absolutely. You know, what's super interesting about this too. Like last year was my first year going to summer league. I would imagine you've been there several times. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've loved about Summer League, and I loved this back from when I would just watch on my television, but like the talent does pop there. It actually is a decent mm-hmm. place to see. Uh, it, it actually is a decent place to see whether or not a player has like the competitiveness and that confidence to kind of rise up on a stage like that. And like what's weird about Summer League too is everyone plays so damn hard. And like, and like, I, if you yeah. go back to my Twitter feed, I'll have to find the clips one day. But like, I, I sat, you know, I went there on the last day and I found a good seat and I watched like four games in a row. And in that Thunder game, I, like, I, I enjoyed the Josh Giddy, uh, Chet Holmgren dynamic. You know, that was all fun. But the guy who stood out to me the most in that game was Jalen Williams. Yeah. And like, there's all these clips on my Twitter feed of me recording Jalen Williams because I was like, that's the dude that stood out to me. And I think that's so fascinating to me that like in those environments when everyone is so competitive because they're all playing for their careers, literally, that the talent rises to the top there. I, it, I, yeah, I, I, uh, I think that that's a really cool part of the summer league experience. Well, and it, the guys who stand out there to me typically are the ones who just know how to play. Like oh, that yeah. have that like spatial awareness of just like where everyone should be and where everything should be. Like it was funny, like watching someone like Austin Reeves, you know, you watch the Lakers as much as anybody like Austin Reeves, like kind of struggled a little bit, like numerically it's summer league, but you watch them and you're just like, 
oh yeah, like this is going to be fine. Like he just knows where to be. And like, he absolutely knows how to play. Like he's spacing to the corners. He understands space. Like he understands cross corner kickouts, like knows how to play off of two feet. Like all, all of that stuff stands out. Even when he's averaging, I mean, he probably averaged like six points a game in summer league. Right. That's the stuff that I watch for. It's just like the spatial awareness. And Jalen Williams has that. I think. Oh, for sure. sure. Austin's one of those guys too, that like, he is a force multiplier. Like he is, he needs to be around other good basketball players to like really truly feel his value. But yeah, I love force multiplier. That's a, that's a great way to put it, especially for someone who has a star Wars podcast, folks. Shout out two sons. Yes, exactly. Star Wars podcast. Two two sons podcast. Yeah. We're going to be breaking, I'm going to be breaking down Mandalorian with my buddy later tonight. (laughs) There we go. I love it. Okay. Jason, give me your second guy here. Okay, so uh, Jalen Williams was my second guy, um, yeah. but I for my third guy, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to be creative and and not go yeah. with somebody obvious, and you know, I went a couple of different directions. I thought a little bit about Ben Mather, and I thought a little bit about Franz Wagner, and I ended up going with Scotty Barnes, and there's a reason why. Yeah. I know everybody already thinks of him as a future star, but I think he's gone a little under the radar this year, and I think. I think some uh, some people are frustrated with the speed of his progression, so to speak. And I think he's so damn good. And I think like <laughs> people are, I think I think we're coming around to the other end of the Scotty Barnes hype, where people are kind of like just uh, slotting yeah. him in with all of these other like not really fully uh, uh, fully uh, realized forwards for Toronto, like Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, where it's like, yeah, they're, they're good, they're interesting, but uh, you guys want him? Do you want to? Tr- because we'll give him away for a couple first round picks, you know, like. Scotty Barnes to me is going to be a level above both of those guys. And to me, it's, it it really comes down to two things. One is the playmaking piece, which we can dive a little bit deeper into here in a minute. But the big one for me is like, I love how nasty he is as a competitor. And like, and like when you combine that with what he's got in terms of his physical tools and then we go into the part that I was talking about earlier about the value of a rim pressuring forward that can play make and the way that that gets teams into uh, rotation. So, for instance, like a big part of what killed Denver last night. And, dude, I, I don't know if you've noticed. Have you noticed how good Toronto's new starting lineup has been? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they've just like, like completely just, blown the doors off of teams offensively. They're kicking the shit out of everyone. Right. And like, and it's yeah. literally like, and it's literally like, I think they're plus 57 in their first 150 minutes. Amazing on both ends of the floor. And one of the big things is like, they are literally, they present a matchup nightmare for every single team that they play based on the simple fact that your two guard is not going to be big enough to guard either OG Ananobi or Scotty Barnes, which is going to be one of those guys that you're going to have to guard. And yep. What I like the most is uh, with him specifically is it's not playmaking that is in the basic sense of like like Giannis, for instance. Giannis is a great playmaker because he draws so much attention and he's gotten good yes. at making that. He's gotten good at making the easy reads. Like Giannis has figured out how to make the game easier on himself by making easy reads. Scotty Barnes sees these things before they happen. He has a higher level playmaking piece that I don't think a lot of guys uh, that a lot of guys his age, especially at his position have, he hits the cutter in stride before he actually gets open. He hits the shooter while the defender is still in the process of digging. He's ahead of that action there. He's uh, I was, I was pulling the numbers earlier today. 
On plays when Scotty Barnes has passed out of the post or isolation this year, he's generated 106 points on 100 plays, which is like insane when you factor in the level of offensive skill around him, which is not great. Like every everything that's good about that lineup is not offensive skill. It's just sheer force and and uh, downhill rim pressure and what they can do defensively. And so I've just been I, I want to I just wanted to have this be an honorary like, hey, like, yes, I know Scotty Barnes is going to be a star, but I don't think I think people are writing him off a little bit based on a slight uh, lack of development in his second year in a really funky Toronto team that that plays a really funky style of basketball. Like, I just think he's going to be incredible. And I wanted to take a, a minute to talk about it. Yeah. So <clears throat> I struggled with how he started the season. I'm a big fan of like the last 30 games of Scotty Barnes when they've used him. It feels like not as much with Pirtle around because they use Pirtle as like that short roll weapon. But before they got Pirtle, it was like that little space, you know, after his first 30 games and like before they got Jakob Pirtle where they were utilizing him as like a short roll weapon that would just like tear apart defenses from the inside out. And that's where you really saw his playmaking shine. Like it wasn't just simple passes. He would draw a defender toward him and like would throw like a wraparound pass, like around someone's body to like freaking Ken Birch or like even OG and Anobi as a cutter, right? Or he'd throw the cross corner kick out. Like there are real advantages that he's creating with his physicality. And I'm glad that we're talking about two different things here, right? Like I'm bringing up the short roll playmaking. You're bringing up like the isolation and post playmaking. All of these things that he is capable of bringing are very advanced reads. They're, they're very advanced. Uh, I'm bringing defenders toward me. I'm moving guys with my eyes a lot of the time. And I'm making real difficult advanced level reads to create an advantage for my teammates. The thing with Scotty for me is just like, it depends on how much you buy the shot. That's it. Like to be a star in today's NBA you have to be able to create your own shot from 13 feet out, in my opinion, unless you are Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, and even Giannis, where his game went to the next level, in my opinion, was when that at least became a threat, right? Where he could stop from 15 feet and knock down a shot. As much as I love Scotty's frame, as much as I love his power and his nastiness, I don't think he's going to be like modern day Shaq, like Giannis is. Of course, so not, I think yeah. that, yeah, he needs that 15 foot to 25 foot jumper to come along at some point. That's where my only real hesitation is. But regardless, even if it doesn't come along, I think we're talking about like an Andre Iguodala level all star. It's a very, like, I think that's like the floor. That's an interesting for Scotty Barnes. Yeah. Like the way he processes the game, his, his defense, I thought was a little bit overrated. I thought it's gotten a little bit better throughout the course of the season is they've gotten a little bit more defensive infrastructure, particularly with Pirtle on the interior. He doesn't have to like sag into the paint as much to try and protect the rim from the weak side. Now he can just trust Jakob to be a wall there, which is really valuable. I'm in on Scotty as a, like one of maybe the best complimentary all-stars in the NBA for sure he has a chance to be a top 10 player if the shooting comes around. I don't know if I buy the shot. That's super interesting. I think I'm, I'm definitely a bit higher on him than you when it comes to the shot. Like what I look at specifically with him is I think he actually has good touch. Um, And I think you see that Mm -hmm. on his hooks 
and his short jumpers. And obviously it hasn't translated further out, but like to me, there's a fluidity that comes um that becomes a bigger issue further away from the basket. It, like we talk about it, yep. uh, basketball players refer to it as like energy transfer, but uh, you know, basically yep. this idea that like when you are further away from the basket, uh, all of the power elements of the shot become more important. What kind of lift are you getting? Or do you have good transfer of energy from your lift into your forward motion with the shot? And like, obviously he's clunky. He's got a hitch. It's a little bit of a catapult right now. But yeah. when he gets closer to the basket, the touch is there. And so I'm less worried about that, uh, about his shot coming around to a respectable level simply because I think he's got the touch. And just by, you know, it's, it's that energy transfer piece, that fluidity piece, I think just comes in time. So I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty high on Scotty Barnes and, and, and I, and I understand yeah. the, the, I understand the downsides and you're absolutely right. Like it, I a hundred percent agree with you that if you're going to be a, a star, like a legitimate perennial all-star, right. Especially with the production you're going to need against the best defenses in the league, you're going to have to become a threat away from the basket. That's that, that just goes without saying. So I agree with you in the premise. I just think Scotty's going to get there. Yeah. It, it's hard for me because he's never shot. Like it, it's outside of like that first 25 games last year or whatever, he just hasn't really shot it before. And while I agree with you, like I, I think he really does have touch. And I think that like you see it on the hook shots. I see, I think you see it at times from the mid range. I, I just, I worry about these guys where we have in Scotty's case now, because he was an exceptionally high level high school player, we have a lot of data on him and it just hasn't happened. And Look, if the worst case scenario here that I'm talking about, literally the floor that I'm talking about is like makes an all-star game, becomes like an exceptionally high level winning basketball player, right? That like his game translates to wins because he's big, he's enormous, he leads the break in transition, he does X, Y, and Z, right? That's a great floor. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. But I think that I am I am I am with you on the ceiling. I think the ceiling is genuinely top 10 player in the league if the shooting comes around like he's gonna he will Mm. be a star if the shooting comes around okay i have two more guys i'm gonna go through one of them briefly because i think that it's a little bit obvious my first one was mikhail bridges and interesting mikhail bridges what he's doing right now in brooklyn is ridiculous right and i think that it just is abundantly clear that this guy has always had more in his toolbox than what he got to show in Phoenix. And this is not an indictment of Phoenix because when you have Chris Paul and Devin Booker, those guys are going to have the ball more. That's just the reality, right? But Mikhail has always shown this ability in second side actions and ball screens, that ability to get to that mid-range shot particularly. Obviously, the threat of his shot from three creates real gravitational pull for defenders where he can get some marginal advantages attacking closeouts getting all the way to the rim, stopping and popping from the mid-range. He's just so immediately taken it to the nth degree in Brooklyn that I think it's hard to ignore on some level. Right now, he's averaging in Brooklyn 26.3 points, five rebounds, three assists, shooting 50.6% from the field, 45.8% from three, 88.9% from the line. Basically, he has gone from being like a number three, number four option to a number one option averaging 26 points per game and seeing zero drop-off in terms of his efficiency so far in what is 
14 games in Brooklyn. That is on its face just completely remarkable. Why why do you think it's been such an immediate leap right away? Do you think it's because Spencer Dinwiddie's drawing a better point of attack defender? Like I I always knew he had some of this, but like I'm I'm 100% I am genuinely confounded by how quickly he's elevated his game with Brooklyn because it, when he stepped up when Booker went down he was flashing some of this stuff, but it just wasn't the same and it wasn't translating to winning either. And it, I, I'm confused by it. Like, cause par, part of me, this is not one of my favorite archetypes players because interesting. Okay. Because, for two reasons. Doesn't finish at the rim. Well, not a great playmaker. Those, okay. yeah. those two things worry me because that, what, it, that, what that screams to me is that you're extremely reliant on your pull-up jump shot. And he's an outstanding pull-up jump shooter. But the dirty little secret about pull-up jump shooting is even the best pull-up jump shooters in the world can go cold. We literally saw that with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in the playoffs <laughs> last year. So, like, yeah. I I really don't like it when your foundational skill is pull-up shooting. I prefer it when it's a counter. So, he's not my favorite archetype of player. I've been, I've been enjoying the hell out of watching him in Brooklyn. That drifting little 15-footer I got, I think, is, like, such a nice counter – uh, when he runs into rim protection as he's going through the lane, his pull-up three is he's been making it. But what worries me about his pull-up three is his form has a just the tiniest bit of a hitch in it, which takes us yeah. to our energy transfer conversation and why I think he's more accurate from 10 to 15 feet with that shot yeah. than he is from 25 feet because that's that power element. That's that energy transfer piece. I'm genuinely confused that he's been as good as he's been in Brooklyn. I <laughs> I believe I believe in the pull-up shooting. I think he's a really good, skilled, like Paul George-esque type of perimeter-oriented uh, wing. But what we know about the Paul George archetype is that when is Paul George good? When he's attacking the rim. When is Paul yeah. George bad? When he's not attacking the rim. And uh, like Mikhail Bridges just, just does not get to the rim enough to me to be that like perennial all-star type of player. doesn't mean he can't become that, but he's not that right now. And, and that goes back to our conversation about Jalen Williams. He's a little bit high center of gravity. He's a little bit easier yeah. to knock off of his line. He's not a real downhill athletic force, even though he is a supreme NBA athlete. It's more of like this lanky um, finesse type of player, if that makes sense. The guy that, well, the, the thing that he does that I think is a little bit different is he's one of those guys who can raise his release point from the mid-range, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like those are really, really difficult guys to find. And I think that's what makes Mikhail so valuable as a pull-up shooter on some level. The reason that I really like him is I think this is like a Chris Middleton-y archetype more than a Paul George archetype. And there's a difference between those two guys. Absolutely. Paul George is a much better, much more versatile player. But I think Mikhail is going to be like a top 20 player in the league at some point, something wow. like that. Like just like Chris Middleton. And, and to be honest, like, I, I don't know. Like if I was, if I was a team, I think I would rather acquire Mikhail Bridges than Jalen Brown right now in this off season. In wow. part because of the contract, he's locked in for $22 million on average for the next three years. Jalen Brown's a free agent next year. But Mikhail Bridges, I think, can create as a real pull-up shooter in the way that you're talking about consistently. And I think he is an ideal second option for an NBA team next to a star. It would require you already having that star in place to 
really buy into him like this. I think Jalen probably has more upside if you're requiring him to be the number one option. But you mix in the fact that McHale is maybe the best perimeter defender in the NBA. Uh, yeah, he's much better like than Jalen Brown, too, yeah, on that end. Like, I think that there is some real, real, real upside here. And the last guy I want to talk about is a guy that you brought up, actually, Franz Wagner. I'll just pitch it to you and ask you what you like about Franz. I just <laughs> I just love the giant ball handler, man. I'm telling you, like, that uh, that ability to see over the defense to make those cross-court passes, because, like, as we've seen, um, you know, NBA defenses, I think, have gotten a little less aggressive out of, uh, out of the weak side corner. But, like, w- one of the things I've noticed is, you know, teams are, are, are working really hard now to put their best athlete in that low man position so that they can blow up the short roll, but also be able to recover out to that weak side. And I think it's yep. so important that that skip pass is on time and on target. And the lob skip pass or the deflected skip pass is just not anywhere near the advantage creator that the rifle skip pass is. This has been a little bit of an issue with Austin Reeves as of late. He's been very, very good as a primary ball handler for the Lakers when they've needed him to be, but he's a little shorter. And so he's sometimes he's making, just in the last couple of games, he's had some turnovers where he's making the right read. He's going to the right place, <laughs> but he just can't get the pass over the top of all that length. And so he's running into some problems there. Yeah, Franz to me is just in his pick and roll in isolation. Creation has actually tailed off a little bit here over the course of the, of yeah. the last month or so. Um, but to me, he just, he, he, he's got a pull up jump shot. He can trust he can make all the right plays. He can get to the rim aggressively. And I, I just love that specific archetype of player. I also love this specific archetype of player. It's what the Oklahoma City Thunder are basically acquiring right now. Yep. Uh, six foot nine, can shoot, reasonable athleticism, like, you know, solid to above average athleticism, fast brain. That's the biggest thing. Like, I think that I talk a lot on this podcast about guys that have a fast brain. Franz is that guy like to a T and it's why again, like he's going to be the ideal secondary star, I think next to a Paulo Bancaro next to whoever they get in the draft this year. And I think that's going to translate into him being a multi-time all-star. It's hard to find guys that are six foot nine to six foot 10 can dribble, can pass, can shoot, can defend are incredibly intelligent defensively. They move, uh, you know, they cover so much ground defensively is a big part of this. Like the way that, NBA defense works now having guys that are six foot nine and mobile with how spaced out the court is you just need more length to cover that space like geometrically it is incredibly important to have someone that is that big on the back line who can cover swaths of ground right Franz Wagner can cover that ground I'm not saying he's like an elite level defender but he moves well and he's six foot ten and he has a fast brain and he's always in the right spot so you can, and this isn't to say Orlando has like some elite defense or anything. They have structural flaws all over the place, but like, he's not the structural flaw. He's actually, I think, really, really helping with trying to lift the level of that defense. So he's got again, the nasty like, streak too. He does a little bit. Yeah. Like yeah. you see him, like he gets into it. It's going to be for real that night. I see like Gregory Castillo in the YouTube comments here mentioning Jeremy Sohan. It's another reason that I like Jeremy Sohan. I don't know that he's necessarily like future NBA all-star. I do love his upside, but six foot nine, mobile, fast brain on defense at the very least, has that kind of ability to cover ground. This is also why the article I wrote today, Brandon Miller is 
slowly but surely climbing draft boards without any conversation about the shooting that he seems to have some sort of involvement in. I don't want to dive deep into that because I think that we're still early in that process and don't want to jump to any conclusions on anything one way or another on that. But six foot nine can really shoot, can cover ground defensively. Can get That's to an the archetype rim. NBA teams are looking for. Can get to the rim. That's the big thing he's improved throughout the year as well. Brandon Miller has his last step acceleration has really improved as his footwork has improved uh, in college mm-hmm. basketball. How much college have you watched this year? Decent amount? Uh, not as much as I'd like. I've, a lot of Pac-12, but uh, it's definitely, I'll be honest with you, Sam, when I wake up in the morning or when I have some time, I usually just try to catch up on teams <laughs> in the NBA that I haven't watched yet. Yeah. I mean, you you characterized right. my show perfectly. Like we pretty much focus on the top of the league. <laughs> you have to, but like yeah. that's, that's what the show is. And there, yep. The problem for you this year is that there are so many teams that can make a realistic case at the shot. Yeah, league, yes. Which is why you are so stuck. <laughs> Jason, I want to get you out of here. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people, again, uh, what you've got going on. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. And you can find our show on the Volumes YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Sam, thank you so much for having me on, man. This was so much fun. And I'm looking forward to next week. I'm looking forward to next week. Like I said, I'm going to, we're doing a home and home. Jason uh, has invited me onto his show. He's making me actually look into MVP and like <laughs> come up with real cogent thoughts. I, I love talking to Jason. I think Jason is one of the smartest basketball minds in the public sphere right now. I really, really enjoy it, but I don't enjoy this assignment he has given me. <laughs> we're going to, fu- we're going to make it, we're going to, we're going to have that discussion in a way that is palatable for us. I promise. Yes. I promise. No, I know. It's going to be great. Okay. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. Go to the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Pacini. Go subscribe there. Please. Enjoy the NCAA tournament first round that starts tomorrow. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.